It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. You know, we try to cover it all on the Buzz Meter, whether it's politics or sports or culture or entertainment, media. If it's interesting, I want to talk about it. But there's one area that I've never mentioned on this podcast, and maybe it's a personal failing on my part. It has to do with UFOs. Yeah, apparently in the $2.3 trillion bill last year passed under Donald Trump, which a lot of it was for coronavirus relief and keeping the agencies funded and not shutting down the government, there was money having to do with UFOs. Uh, Money was actually set aside, and some former Pentagon official has been on TV talking about this, um, where the Secretary of Defense, you think you'd have enough to worry about with Iraq, North Korea, Russia, China, has to do a report uh, outlining everything the government knows about these unidentified flying objects. And it's known, this is the bureaucratic phrase, unidentified aerial phenomena or anomalous aerial vehicles. So uh, for those of you who think there's something out there, and of course, some of this could just be, you know, Spy planes from uh, or some kind of spy satellite thing. Uh, nevertheless, uh, whether you think there's intelligent life out there or not, the government is going to find out and share the findings with us. Hey, Jimmy Fallon the other night uh, brought back a live studio audience for his uh, NBC show for the first time in a year. It's a sort of a glimmer of a return to normality, right? Studio 6B at 30 Rock. Um, and he came out wearing a suit and tie, not the usual, you know, <laughs> jumpsuit from home. And there were all of 58 people there, socially distanced, of course. And here's a great quote from Jimmy. I've never been so excited to do a show for 58 people in my entire life. After last year, this is like performing at a sold-out Madison Square Garden. I like that. Now, in case you were wondering about Claudia Conway, she, of course, the 16-year-old daughter of former Trump White House aide Kellyanne Conway, who somehow uh, parlayed her TikTok fame, which was also kind of infamous because she was often um, yelling about her mother and it got kind of ugly. But she wound up on American Idol. And this week, sadly, SADS report, Claudia Conway was eliminated. Um... You're taking your control of your life, and I applaud you for that, said Judge Katy Perry. Claudia, this is going to be the end of America, the American Idol journey for right now. Uh, Claudia Conway seemed to take this, her words to heart. She retreated it. Uh, look, it's got to be fun to do that show, especially after, uh, especially if you're a teenager, and especially if you've had a very, very, very rough time being publicly at war Um, with your mom for working for the President of the United States, while your mom was also kind of in a rhetorical war with your dad, uh, who hated the President of the United States. Anyway, her American Idol tenure is now over. Now, we got a lot of serious stuff to get to, starting with these shootings. So let's start with number one. You know what what really struck me? Uh, Everybody, of course, knows about the spa shootings in Atlanta that killed eight people, six of them Asian-American women. And everybody now knows about the supermarket shooting in Boulder that killed 10 people. One of them a police officer. One of them was the grocery store manager. Um, But I saw a chart that a lot of news outlets were running that said seven mass shootings in seven days. And I'm looking at this, and the death toll wasn't necessarily as high, but there'd been one every day, and I hadn't even read about it. I haven't even heard about it. I haven't even seen it on TV. Why? Because this, unfortunately, tragically, 
has become so commonplace in America that if there isn't a significantly high death toll or you know, if only one or two people die in a mass shooting and the number are injured, then it doesn't even make the radar except locally. Or if there's something about it, and this was the whole debate about Atlanta, was it targeted at Asian Americans or was it really just you know a crazy guy with a gun who had sex problems? Um, I don't really care. And that's how I feel about the shooter in Colorado. I don't want to hear, I don't want to read all these stories about, oh, his friends say he had violent outbursts and, oh, he had mental health issues and uh, this and that. I just don't care. These people are crazy. They're insane. Anybody who goes into a public place and starts shooting indiscriminately uh, is a horrible monster who's got some kind of mental issues. And, you know, it's hard not to let fatigue creep into this because as a journalist, as an American, the whole country has just been through this so many, so many, so many times, going all the way back to Columbine. And then, you know, you can just tick off, and I'm going to forget half of them because there have been so many of them. Uh, Columbine, and of course, what happened, I guess it's almost nine years ago now, at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Connecticut, and what happened in the church uh, in Charleston, and what happened at the Washington Navy Yard, and what happened at Virginia Tech, and I could go on and on and on. And every time this happens, there's a debate in the media. What are we going to do? We've got to get rid of the guns. We've got to have gun control. We've got to bring it under some kind of control. And ultimately, nothing ends up happening, although President Biden says uh, that he's going to try to act. But it is the classic gridlock problem. And, you know, you're just your heart goes out. And I think one of the reasons, I'm just going to say this, why I think this has become a bigger story than the spa shootings is that, any of us could imagine just being in a supermarket, going in for bread and eggs and orange juice, and somebody opening fire. It could be anyone. It happened to be Boulder, Colorado. Maybe it could be somewhere else tomorrow or the next day or the next week. With Atlanta, you say, well, you know, they were working in a spa slash massage parlor. That I would, not, I would never do that, or it's just not part of my world. Therefore, it's terrible, I feel awful, but I don't feel like personally threatened. Here, I think people feel personally threatened. So President Biden has a long history on this. Uh, after Sandy Hook, um, President Obama named Joe Biden, then of course Vice President, uh, to spend five weeks, I thought this was a mistake, five weeks studying what to do on gun control because it, it robbed them of the momentum because you have the shock and horror right after one of these things happened. And Biden came back with his recommendations. Ultimately, Obama tried very hard. Biden tried very hard. Um, this is a very emotional hot-button issue on both sides for a whole lot of people. They couldn't get anything passed. Uh, Biden was involved, as he said yesterday, in as, as one of the leading senators in passing the 1994 assault weapons ban under Bill Clinton, which lasted, I think, about 10 years. And Biden contends that it worked and it reduced the number of mass killings. People may dispute that. I mean, the problem with any law, obviously, is that you can't... People who are willing to break the law uh, by obtaining guns, whether they obtain those guns legally or illegally, uh, and willing to engage in this kind of you know, horrendous violence, aren't going to care all that much about a law in the books. But... The idea is if it could stop 
guns from getting in the hands of the wrong people, particularly those with mental history of mental health problems, maybe it could save some lives. Uh, Biden says this is not and should not be a partisan issue. It is an American issue. We have to act. But of course, it is a partisan issue. In 1994, when Clinton and Biden and others pushed through that assault weapons ban, um, the Democrats got clobbered in the, in the midterms. And the Republicans took the House. And so um, it is a political issue. And of course, it has to be a political issue. Um, now, the House recently, fast-forwarding to this season, uh, passed gun control legislation that included more universal background checks and um, other limits on the kind of ammunition and guns you could have, is basically thought to have no chance to pass the Senate. Uh, here's Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut. The Connecticut senators tend to be very, very outspoken on this because of Sandy Hook. Uh, said, Congress's inaction has made lawmakers complicit in allowing completely predictable violence to go unchecked. Mitch McConnell uh, says he's willing to talk, but what I'm attracted to, what I'm not attracted to is something that doesn't work. And there have been deep-seated philosophical differences between Republicans and Democrats about how to deal with gun violence. Pew Center poll, 2019. Bipartisan support on barring people with mental illnesses from buying guns. 70, and 71% of Americans, including a slight majority of Republicans, favored banning these high-capacity ammunition magazines. 69%, including half of Republicans, backed an assault weapons ban. So if you went by public sentiment, these things would be law. Now, in the past, they haven't become law because of the clout of the NRA. But the NRA is very weakened right now. It's, at the, uh, it's a shrunken organization. It is fending off its own investigations. It is under investigation uh, for things like financial fraud. And it is not the force it once was. But it doesn't matter because gun owners, uh, people who think that any form of gun control will infringe on their rights as law-abiding citizens to protect their homes, to protect their families, or to go hunting, feel that any measure, even a, a small step, toward what proponents would call common sense gun control is the nose under the camel's tent. It's a slippery slope that will lead to widespread uh, outlawing of handguns, gun confiscation, and all of that. And they vote, and they vote with intensity on that issue, which is why politicians are so afraid of that issue. So what does Joe Manchin think? We have to ask that about everything now in a 50-50 Senate. Joe Manchin uh, of West Virginia said yesterday, he does not support these two gun control measures that the House passed earlier this month. But he would like to push what's called the Manchin-Toomey compromise. He and Republican Senator Pat Toomey uh, tried to get this passed after Sandy Hook, completely failed. Um, what Manchin and Toomey would do, and even here they're saying they'd have to compromise even further to get anything through. Uh, that's what Pat Toomey said. Um, is that there would be mandatory background checks um, for any commercial gun sales. If somebody is, he said, as, as Manchin put it, if it's commercial, you don't know a person. If I know a person, no. In other words, if somebody wants to sell a gun to their friend, somebody they know personally, a neighbor, that wouldn't be covered by Manchin's legislation. Um, there's some question about the wording about these other loopholes, which is buying uh, guns at gun shows or buying them over the Internet. 
so those are what proponents consider loopholes. I don't know that anything's going to happen in the end. It's just going to be a lot of hand-wringing, a lot of media coverage. Um, and the irony is that just 10 days before the uh, massacre in the Boulder supermarket, a judge in Boulder uh, blocked the city from enforcing a ban on assault-style weapons. And the guy, the shooter uh, in the supermarket, had an AR-15 semi-automatic that would have been prohibited under this ban, passed by the city of Boulder after the school shooting in Parkland. I didn't even mention that in my litany. Of course, the high school shooting in Parkland, Florida, was one of the most heartbreaking episodes in American life. And there are just so many of them. Uh, so now we have this debate yet again. But, you know, even the city of Boulder couldn't do this. Now, if this law had been in place, would this stop this guy, who obviously already had an AR-15? No, I don't think so. So you get into the debate of how effective is it. But you also have the rest of the world looking at America and saying, how is it that America allows this to go on? How is it that America doesn't enact some kind of common sense gun control? There are so many guns on the street. And of course, the argument is, you know, if you outlaw that, then only criminals will have guns. Criminals, of course, police officers. Um, but America is an outlier here in the rest of the world, um, which tends to tightly control the supply of guns. But of course, in America, you have the Second Amendment, and people feel very strongly about the Second Amendment, and I have to respect their strong feelings, uh, but that has frozen the debate. And no matter how anguished we all feel about these mass shootings, which are going to go on and on, it's been going on for decades now. It was shocking when it happened in uh, Columbine. It was shocking when it happened the one in the movie theater. Uh, and it will continue to be shocking, except I think we've all become numb. All right, let's move on to number two, the mess at the border. Um, Delegation of senior White House officials and lawmakers uh, are going to the U.S.-Mexico border today um, as the Biden administration is scrambling to provide more HHS facilities for all the thousands of unaccompanied minors, for example. Um, this has become a huge story. But the part of the, that I'm interested in today has to do with the fact that journalists have not been allowed. They have actually been blocked by the Biden administration from... Reporters either going into these facilities, even on a pooled basis, or uh, photojournalists taking pictures. There have been some pictures that, that were obtained by Democratic Rep. Uh, Henry Cuellar of Texas that were leaked to Axios, uh, leaked to him and then leaked to Axios. But now, after all of the pressure, and you have people like CNN's Jake Tapper and uh, MSNBC's Katie Turner and others going on there and saying, basically, this is BS. You know, this administration promised transparency and they keep saying we're going to do it and we're going to do it. And still journalists have been blocked from covering this humanitarian crisis at the border. But with this delegation of White House officials today, uh, HHS is saying it will allow one network camera to accompany the group. This is a facility, a migrant facility in Carrizo Springs, Texas. And that's a good thing. And it's a completely total response to the media pressure. The more and insistent the media pressure has gotten, the position of the White House became untenable. I hope this is the first of many steps because you can always have just one facility that's obviously better than the others and we don't get to see the other facilities. So step in the right direction in my view. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. Number three, National Review has a piece about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Based on FDA data, this is the one-shot J&J vaccine that has 79% effectiveness um, 
or around 80%, not quite as good as the 95% of Pfizer and of Moderna, which require two shots, um, but pretty much enough to keep you from getting seriously ill and out of the hospital, which of course is the crucial thing. It turns out that of the 4.3 million doses of the J&J vaccine that's actually been delivered, only 2.3 million have been used, administered, shot into people's arms. So the success rate there, or the vaccination rate for the J&J vaccine, 53%. National Review says, Jim Garrity writes, uh, senior Biden administration officials have met privately to try to determine what happened. Two senior administration officials believe states are conserving their J&J supplies until there's enough to reach underserved communities and specific groups like teachers or the disabled. Other states say they're using it as soon as they get it. The notion of conserving their J&J supplies for specific groups makes no sense, National Review says, and I agree with this. You don't reach underserved communities or anyone if you're not using the doses. If you want to vaccinate more teachers or the disabled, open up the vaccination appointments to teachers and the disabled. Open up more sites. Open up for longer hours. Figure out where your target population is most densely clustered and bring the vaccine to that spot. There is absolutely no public health advantage to waiting around and stockpiling vaccine doses to be used sometime down the road. Why is this so difficult to grasp? Uh, overall, the U.S. has administered 79% of the vaccines that have been sent out to the states. Not bad, not great. You wonder why it couldn't be higher. Um, but 50, uh, 53% of the J&J vaccine, it is, it's, 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 a, it's criminal. It's a damn shame. If you can't get them into your preferred groups, get them into somebody's arms. Get that number up of the total number of Americans vaccinated so we get closer and closer to the goal of of herd immunity. Sitting on it doesn't help anybody. While bureaucrats draw plans, you know, I'm all for equity. I'm all for serving, you know, teachers in particular should get it so more schools can open. About half the schools in America are now open. More of those need to open. Uh, if, If minority groups aren't getting it, fine. Put more vaccination centers in minority neighborhoods. Advertise it. Do whatever you need to do. But not using the vaccine makes no freaking sense. Garrity is right. Number four, there was a little bit of a um, rebellion among two Democratic senators who are of Asian American descent, Tammy Duckworth of Illinois and Maisie Hirono of Hawaii. Um, after the aforementioned uh, shootings of the killings of the six Asian-American women out of the eight victims in those three Atlanta-area spas, uh, they decided to sort of go on strike, as it were, publicly telling the Biden administration. uh, It started with Duckworth saying, she said, I will not vote for any non-diversity nominees until the White House uh, convinces me that it's going to appoint more people of from the AAPI group, Asian American Pacific Islander. We need more representation. So all 15 of Joe Biden's cabinet slots have been filled and there are no Asian Americans or Pacific Islanders, first time in more than 20 years. Until then, says Senator Duckworth, I am a no vote on the floor for all non-diversity nominees. You know, I will vote for racial minorities and I will vote for LGBTQ, but anyone else I'm not voting for. Now, here's why this troubles me. So perfectly qualified nominees would get held up because she wants greater representation for her community. 
and and she's publicly embarrassing a president of her own party who um, you know has already produced the most diverse cabinet I think in history in terms of African Americans in terms of um, Hispanics and you know this is the, the the key part here as various people told Senator Duckworth well first of all near attend in, in the American descent she didn't make it as an OMB director. It's not a cabinet position, but it's a pretty high federal position. The uh, new uh, trade representative, Catherine Tai, was sworn in last week, not a secretary-level position, but a very important U.S. position. But then there's this person named Kamala Harris, who is both black and of Asian-American descent. And Tammy Duckworth says, to be told that, well, you have Kamala Harris, we're very proud of her, you don't need anybody else, is insulting. Why is it insulting? She's the vice president of the United States. And she's of Asian-American descent. I'm not saying it doesn't mean that nobody else needs to be appointed. Anyway, so now they've settled it because the White House agreed, this is late yesterday, to add a senior-level Asian-American Pacific Islander liaison, someone to sort of reach out and try to find more nominees, and that's fine. I don't have any problem with the outreach. But I think Biden looks weak doing this. You know, a couple of senators called him out. And immediately, it's like, okay, okay, we'll appoint somebody. Um, you know, you, you can't... There are only so many positions in government. Um, Donald Trump's cabinet was mostly whites and mostly white men. So to go after Joe Biden on this issue, yes, you know, you can lobby and, you know, you can make your views known. But to kind of embarrass him, I will not vote. I just think, and for Biden to immediately say, okay, we'll appoint somebody to try to appoint more people, you know, the goal is worthy. But I think, again, it makes Joe Biden look weak and it makes them look like they're only interested or primarily interested in, in promoting people of their community. So let me move on now. We've got a lot to get to here in this podcast. Number five, I know you remember Sidney Powell. At what point she was one of the most influential lawyers in the United States because she was President Trump's lawyer. She got to be too much even for Rudy Giuliani and ultimately even for Donald Trump, where it was that there were those tense meetings where uh, Rudy and others were saying, well, Sidney Powell, I mean, you think I'm out there. She's really out there. And ultimately, they convinced Trump to drop her as somebody who could represent him, but she continued to, to uh, pursue her cracking strategy of making pretty wild claims about fraud in the election. Now, look, let's make no mistake. Donald Trump continues to say to this day that it was widespread fraud in the 2020 election. He has not been able to prove that to the satisfaction of either any uh, federal court or his own Justice Department. But he still says it. Powell went even further with the Dominion voting machines were rigged and there was this all cooked up. There was an international communist conspiracy and Hugo Chavez and all that. I mean, it was kind of crazy town. So now she's been sued. Dominion, which makes those machines, has hit Sidney Powell, as you may know, with a $1.3 billion libel lawsuit. And in court to defend herself, Sidney Powell makes this legal argument, saying, well, I mean, how could anybody have taken my claim seriously? Reasonable people would not accept such statements as fact. Let me read that again. This is a woman who had represented the President of the United States, who made all kinds of claims, 
and now says reasonable people would not accept such statements as fact. She goes on to say reasonable people understand that the, quote, language of the political arena, like the language used in labor disputes, is often vituperative, abusive, and inexact. This is a court document uh, filed on her behalf. It is likewise a well-recognized principle that political statements are inherently prone to exaggeration and hyperbole. Let me read that again. Inherently prone to exaggeration and hyperbole. So this is a woman who went out, who went on television shows, who held news conferences. Um, I don't remember, was she at the Four Seasons Thor Landscaping or not? Well, that was just Rudy, I think. And made uh, all kinds of wild claims about communist conspiracy to steal the election and dominion voting machines. And she's saying now, eh, exaggeration, hyperbole. People get that. Nobody really believed that stuff. Wow. And remember when uh, Tucker Carlson uh, inquired as to whether she had any proof would come on the show? She couldn't produce anything. And then they got into public war of words because she couldn't back it up. And she ultimately couldn't back it up to her um, patrons at the White House either. And now we see what she's got. And what she's got is nothing. All right, number six, a bit of an extra story today. And there is quite a flap developing over Dr. Oz, Mehmet Oz, who is guest hosting Jeopardy. You know, there's this kind of celebrity bake-off thing going on uh, as the show is trying out various possible hosts in the wake of Alex Trebek's death. Katie Couric did it. Uh, Sanjay Gupta and um, now it's Dr. Oz. So 500 former contestants have signed a letter saying, no, 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 you can't give this show to Dr. Oz. Absolutely not. I'll read you some of the letter. When we heard that Dr. Mehmet Oz was slated to be a guest host, agreement came quickly. We were opposed. Dr. Oz stands in opposition to everything that Jeopardy stands for. This goes on. Throughout his nearly two decades on television, and he is an actual doctor, but he's also kind of a television doc, uh, he has used his authority as a doctor to push harmful ideas onto the American public in stark contrast to, with his oath to first do no harm. These ideas include promoting supplements that do nothing. He's certainly been criticized for that, quack cures. Legitimizing gay conversion therapy, which is banned in California and 19 other states. Um, he has promoted it, but he has said he doesn't personally embrace it, but he has certainly provided a form for it. Dangerous cures, with cures in quotes for autism. And most recently, the use of hydroxychloroquine as a treatment for COVID-19. Now, Dr. Oz was out there pushing that at the same time that Donald Trump was promoting it uh, for those few weeks. And then he later said, well, you know, I think it needs more study. So the letter concludes, Jeopardy is known for being incredibly rigorous, a well-deserved reputation. To then invite Dr. Oz to guest host is a slap in the face to all involved. Well, let me just say this. Um, I've never been a huge Dr. Oz fan because of his long entangled history of promoting things that are not recognized or condoned by the medical consensus, by the, most of the medical community. Um, on the other hand, Jeopardy's a game show. He's not going on there to offer medical advice. He's not going on there to research personally uh, when you say the answer is, what is the question? You know, that's done by the show staff. You know, he's going on there as a celebrity doctor. And that's the reason he's being considered. And, you know, everybody's going to have some objections. Uh, there was some flack that Katie Couric got for some things she said on Bill Maher's show about Donald Trump and about politics. 
so since Jeopardy is obviously going the route of picking someone who is already famous, already a tele, uh, high-profile television figure, you know, they're all going to get flack. And as long as, ultimately, I don't think I should be blocked. I mean, it's not my first choice. But ultimately, um, if, he, if he's not going to use this show as a forum for his own personal views, and it's not a medical advice show, I wouldn't want him hosting a show on health care, and people like him and think he's a cool personality, then I think he ought to be considered. Uh, I understand, you know, the former Jeopardy contestants have every right to speak out. Because it has become, it's, it's become this public spectacle, you know. They could have just sort of decided among themselves. They could have done some private testing. So, okay, here's a new guy. But they, they're kind of buying time and milking the Bake Off itself for ratings until they come up with a permanent successor. Not that anybody can really fill Alex Trebek's shoes. So, I guess while I agree with some of the criticism over the years of Mehmet Oz, um, to just say, well, he should absolutely be disqualified because we don't like what he has to say, doesn't ring right to me, given the fact that it's a game show. Now, could they? You know, and he was on. He was a longtime medical expert on Oprah, and um, has always taken flack. He thrives on controversy. In fact, it gets him in the news. Um, nevertheless, I don't know. I'm sure some of you think it's ridiculous that he's being considered. I'm sure, some of you think why shouldn't he be considered? Um, and ultimately, the people at Jeopardy will decide where they want to, in whose hands they want to place this legacy of a great show. I watched that show as a kid. A lot of people watched it growing up. It's incredible longevity for a game show. And so many shows come and go. Who wants to be a millionaire and concentration? And other shows I remember growing up. Jeopardy is just like this incredible franchise, and it's educational. So I hope the show does well and continues, regardless of who is picked. Well, thank you. Remember, we got everything from UFOs to Jeopardy to the more serious subjects we talked about today. Uh, Apple iTunes, on your Amazon device, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, lots of places you can subscribe to our effort here. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow with more BuzzFeed. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.